Hello, welcome my friends to Fear and Trembling with Horror, the podcast that brings all things horror into conversation with philosophy, theology, religion, literature, you know, just all the stuff of life. I'm your host, Jared, and I'm joined with one of my very closest and dearest friends, Ryan. Now, the basis of our friendship, as we've said before, started while we were in college in the dorm, uh, every Thursday night discussing horror films, and we would share our favorites with one another. We would go back and forth, and boy, that seems like it was a long time ago, um, and we've had a quite a lot of horror films to discuss and horror television shows to discuss and a lot of fun along the way. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to look at Jordan Peele's masterpiece, Get Out, uh, a genre-bending and blending uh, film that I'm not sure there's a whole lot I could say negatively about it. But why don't you, Ryan, give us an overview of this wonderful film? Yeah, so it has been a long time. We are getting older, my friend. Old. Um, <laughs> so this this film, you know, Chris and his girlfriend Rose go upstate to visit her parents for the weekend. And after Chris reads, you know, the family's kind of this over-accommodating behavior and uh, nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship. Yeah, because um, Chris is an African-American, played by the wonderful Daniel Kaluuya, who is British. Yeah. And his girlfriend Allison, or uh, Rose Armitage, is played by Allison Williams. Brian Williams' his daughter, the news anchor, and she is white. Yeah. And so this, you know, it, it, it plays out through the whole film. You know, he's like, did you tell your parents that I'm black? And she's like, no. Ah, well, uh, here we go. Um and so he's he's concerned from the jump. And she's, you know, constantly trying to set him at ease. And as the weekend progresses, Chris becomes increasingly disturbed by this bizarre and unnerving behavior of Rose's family and friends as they showed up for a large gathering that weekend, unbeknownst to Rose and Chris. And so this friendly and welcoming environment quickly turns into a nightmare. And so uh, this this discovery led him... uh, to a place that um, he has to find a way to escape, right? He is in danger, and he has to get out, essentially. What I find fascinating about this is um, clearly we are both white people, uh, Mm -hmm. and that means our experience is limited, and we have read many black authors, we've talked to many black people, we've listened to black voices and that means we can only really learn a um, a, a percentage from a distance of what it mm. what it might be like to have um, the black experience and here in this film rose armitage is projecting to her boyfriend chris that her parents are nice liberal educated people <laughs> voted would have voted for obama three times would have voted for him three times yes that that is the kind of presentation she gives her family but chris knows all too well what it's like often to be a black face and a black body in a white crowd and he's very nervous about what is to come and yeah i mean socially speaking that is a nerve-wracking world to be in a in a world where you are um, where you are uh, you know on the side of minority uh, but this is only amplified it through horror, showing the viewer how terrifying that can be, obviously, through this genre uh, yeah. and, and through the horror at the Armitage home, this beautiful, idyllic home in upstate New York. Now, before you go any further, why don't you tell us, because I know you love, just like the most, most audiences love, Chris's best friend. Rod Williams, <laughs> played by Lil PSA. Ray Howery. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that relationship, how that plays out, uh, some of the banter, you know. Ah, oh, man, he's got some of the – he's got definitely the funniest scenes um, in, in this entire film. I, 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 fi- I find that his scenes are the levity because every other scene that you see in this movie is filled with tension, uh, point blank, whether it's how the camera is filming and framing the shots, you know, 
there's always something off about every other shot beyond uh, interactions with Rob. <laughs> it's like the most normal, um, normal relationship, you know. Um, and so he's he's like from the jump, uh, very cautious about him going and visiting his white girlfriend's family. He's like, don't go to that house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's one thing to be dating a you know to be dating a white woman in your environment inner city, you know, or just the city in general, but, you know, going out to the suburbs, you know, that's where the danger is, right? It's a reverse, uh, you know, it's a reverse tale of, 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 you know, what you could get sometimes in the horror genre of the dangers of the inner city, right? It's flipped on its head. And he's like, don't go there. You know, <laughs> funnily enough, he's like, you know, you know how white people like to have sex slaves, <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he, you know, but that, that again is hitting on that objectification that we're going to talk about a little later. You know, how I like to preview things, um, but in, you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> I like his, I like his relationship, you know, because he's like, he's the one that is genuinely caring about, you know, his friend for his friend. Like even whenever he's in the, the police station, um, you know, he's trying to get, he's trying to get the cops to try and look into his disappearance. And he's given him this information that there are other black people that have been a disappearing. And the people that he's talking to are black and Brown. And, they just look at him like he's from another planet and the, and the detective even turns it into a joke. She's like, don't ever say I didn't give you guys something by bringing you in here to listen to him, listen to him speak. And, um, you know, it, it just goes to show that just as a culture, even in our institutions, and this is one of the things that I think Jordan Peele was trying to, to get at is systemic. We, have systemically not valued black and brown people the same as white bodies and voices yeah and voices yeah and voices and, and um it, it, you know it's it's it man you know if you take even if you even if you flip this scenario on its head right even if you were to put a white person in a predominantly black environment where they're the only one of two or three or four right you know, think about this. Think about this. This film. They're surrounded. They're surrounded by blackness. They show up in black cars. They have black, black, uh, black chairs. The gazebos painted black. Like, you know, they're objectifying and and you know, uh, raising up this idea of blackness in terms of its physical, you know, prowess or beauty. But, um. You know, and he's like, and he get, he gets point blank asked, you know, what what's it like to be black? And, you know, do you think it's a positive or a negative in the modern era? You and, said he, you're talking about Chris, and he's being yeah, asked Chris. by his girlfriend's dad, Dean. Well, it was a group of them at the party. Mm. And he's like, I don't know, man. You know, and if, if you've ever been in that situation, um, you know, and I've, I've spent, I've spent a lot of time, you know, being the only white person in a crowd. And it's different. It'll never be the same because I live in a society that values this color of my skin more, I think, than the other. And it gives you some insight, right? Um, and I think that's that, that's something that that's a, something that this film kind of touches on, right? But don't let's let's not go too far into yeah, the yeah, themes. Yeah. yeah, we're still just doing the overview, baby. Mm. And Rod, his buddy, who you're talking about, is the comic relief. He works for TSA, plays video games, eats cereal, and he's genuinely <laughs> concerned about his buddy Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're right when they when they show Love up it. there, things are a little off. Um, there is uh, quote unquote the help. The help mm -hmm. is. Um, uh, african-american folk who look at chris strangely and he feels like they're leering at him in a weird way um yeah it, it, it's it's almost haunting it's hard to describe uh, when i said leering that, that gives you the sense that someone is glaring at you with some sort of suspicion that's not what's happening they're looking at him with a with a kindness with a uh almost with a um hospitality but also the distance of an alien somebody who's different and other and 
he sees them thinking that they are from his very own experience of, of blackness and he tries to identify with them through a few looks and a few exchanges only to be rebuffed or have that exchange to it just it, it's all blundered and he's kind of yeah. made to feel odd about it and and he sees these things happening and it gets worse and worse now at the mm-hmm. f- front of the film as you're talking about the role reversal of the city and the suburb we we do have this really in my mind a very terrifying scene uh, where uh, oh, yeah. yes, where Lakeith Stanfield's character Andre Logan King is walking in the suburbs to his white girlfriend's house, and they're on a phone, and a nice white kind of sports car comes up driving by, playing this old 1939 hit "Run Rabbit Run." And when I when I hear the title of "Run Rabbit Run," it makes me think of. Uh, uh, a famous novel from from mid mid century. It makes me think of a, uh, a a security guard kid that I grew up with who went in junior high. He looked like a little scared rabbit. I mean, it makes me feel a lot of different things. It's it's certainly got this um, early twentieth century uh, white jazz ish, almost like. Uh, Muzak jazz kind of background. Um, yeah. And I, I've it's read. Unnerving. It, it's it, unnerving. Well, it's unnerving in the <laughs> setting. And, and I've read yeah. that it's basically a mock on Hitler. Uh, mm. And during the bombing raids, uh, the ineffect of the German bombings and, and perhaps in England, I can't remember exactly all that I got from that, but I thought, well, that's, that's very <laughs> interesting. Here we have this, this, uh, this song about, uh, kind of a a song about white superiority. Uh, <laughs> maybe even yeah. if it's joking, but it's playing and it's ominous because it's it's this uh, it's out of setting historically uh, and aesthetically. And mm-hmm. and then uh, Andre Logan, Andre is kidnapped. Now yeah. later, Chris sees Andre at his girlfriend's house, not really knowing it's him, but he sees mm-hmm. him as he is now kind of a dutiful caretaker for the property. And it's one of the interactions he has that triggers Chris that something's not right. Now, I think the biggest thing is the mom, played by the most beautifully talented Catherine Keener. Her name's Missy Armitage. She's a psychotherapist. Why don't you tell us about a little bit about their encounter? Well, she from the jump is you know trying to position herself as being able to cure his smoking habit and uh her dad is pretty pretty avid about her ability to put you under and never smoke again you know want to throw up when you think about a cigarette and you know chris is pretty like uh yeah no i'm okay i don't need you to be in my head you know and and she she kind of immediately you know tells the dad to kind of back off you know down boy and kind of just you can see like she's biding her time. And the dad's played by the great Bradley Whitford. I got a story yeah. about him in a little bit. But if you know yeah. West Wing, if you know uh, The Handmaid's Tale, or if you know Billy some Madison. Uh, Billy Madison, he's in that. Anyway, so go back. So she tells him to to back down. Yeah. And, you know, she she you could just see this look in her look in her face where it's like, you know, I I've got time. You know, and she she kind of sits back and is just waits for the right opportunity to kind of get him to sit in her chair, if you will. And that, you know, that's one of the first like eerie scenes, you know, whenever she's like putting him under hypnosis, you're just like, okay, something's way, way off. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then we get to the, you know, then she she does paralyze him and puts him in the sunken place well, and she doesn't paralyze him with a with a sledgehammer or something no, 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 she no. she asks to hypnotize him very it's a very awkward scene um, yeah it is it's a universal scene because it yeah, yes there are all kinds of overtones of race here but there's also the over so i would say that there's the overtone of uh, psychotherapy and um uh, what has been traditionally known as kind of a a uh, 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 suspicion from African American communities over uh, the therapeutic arts because of um, a whole host of social and historical reasons that that I'm yeah. not even uh, going to try to touch with a ten foot pole for lack of the 
in real <laughs> real knowledge but yeah then there's also the 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 this universal trope of of visiting your in-laws or visiting your mm-hmm. your uh your your sweeties parents and them being <laughs> just a little involved in a way that makes you feel very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so as he's looking around one night and he's trying to see from you know these caretakers these these other black bodies in the space and having mm-hmm. very strange encounters with them i mean it's it's so jordan peele makes the most simple thing creepy like going yeah. for a run becomes creepy <laughs> and, and and that's the cinematic masterpiece stuff that he's doing here in this film, besides the great directing of acting, he's, he's, he's showing us simple things and making, turning them upside down. Well, she asks to hypnotize him and she, as she's hypnotizing him with her voice, she's actually using her spoon to mm. uh, caress a teacup. It has tea in it. She's stirring the tea and he becomes, uh, uh, he enters into the sunken place. Yeah. And she gets him to she she gets him by having him talk about his mother, and you know using using the backstory of you know his mother you know, passing away and whenever he was a kid and his inability or his his actions of not going out to find her, and she uses that to to paralyze him in the hypnosis. It's quite it's quite terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like you said before, she lays in wait while she oh, says yeah, sit, yeah. sit down, boy, to her husband. She yeah. she definitely has that uh, black widow kind of sense mm. about her. But the sunken yeah. place is visualized. Um, here by in, in uh, uh, Chris Washington, played by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, as he is like going under the surface of the space of life and just of the conscious, uh, yes. the consciousness, right? Yeah, the al- subconscious, almost like being submerged underwater. And yeah. and and Kaluuya is acting with his eyes. I mean, he's got beautiful eyes, big beautiful eyes. And but what he's able to uh, do with them and the effect that he can bring on you just through the eyes as his body is basically hypnotized into a state of um, paralysis. His eyes are alive and terrified and trapped and tears mm-hmm. run from them. And he want, all he wants is out. All he yeah. wants is liberation. All he wants is to be taken from this constricting space to a free space and he he can't all he wants is to get out yeah and he can't get out and it's it's the first thing that just it tells him that all of the suspicions that he once had about where he was were not simply him being um panicky they are real and he needs Mm -hmm. to get out of dodge yeah yeah unfortunately for him he he doesn't quite leave just then (laughs) Um, you know, it's it, the, the movie does a f- phenomenal job with the camera work of, of distance, you know, from that opening shot with, with Andre being taken in the suburbs, uh, the first of uh, the first of the Easter eggs for the shining, um, where do you remember what he says? Yeah. <laughs> the, go, the suburbs us. are like a hedge maze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, but, but think of the camera work, you know, the camera, the camera stays pretty static Mm. and at a pretty good distance from, you know, after he's taken to the, to the white car, the the camera doesn't move. It just stays there and watches the car drive off. Are you talking? Okay. So you put us in context. Are you talking about the very first scene? Yeah. The very first scene I'm talking about. So, so you're talking about when Andre gets kidnapped in the white car to run rabbit run. Yes. So and, cameras and I, back. I bring, I bring this I bring this up because distance between the camera and characters plays heavily whenever you're um so whenever it, we're talking about the introduction of the parents and of the family. But I want to be clear. So you're saying so the camera is far back and that's when you watch the abduction from far back, is that what you're saying? So yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a full shot. You know, you see once once Andre walks around that tree and turns to see the the car door open and he's looking for the driver and the driver comes up to take him. The camera then like kind of takes a step back and there's a, a huge distance between it and as he's being drugged to the trunk of the car and it doesn't move. There are no cuts. You're just forced to watch it. 
right? You're just forced to watch it from from afar, and you can't really do anything about it. Um, and oh, it creates, yeah, that's it, interesting, it, Ryan. It creates an emotional distance from from the character, the protagonist. So you know, the camera starts off; it's walking backwards as Andre's walking towards it. It's like a mid shot. You're in his space. You're listening to his conversation. The white car drives by, you know, and it's still kind of close to him. But once he gets taken, that is kind of ripped, ripped from the viewer, right? It, you're no longer in his space. You're, you're much further, much further, less intimate, uh, back as he, as he gets, uh, you know, abducted. Yeah. Um, that's, and, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't catch that, that, uh, how that film shot made that look, but it, now that you say that, Ryan, because that that is a fascinating uh, observation of how how it makes you watch it, and then and given everything that we you know have gone through these past few years, this film came out in two thousand seventeen, but being forced to sit back at, with the camera and watch this abduction or this act of violence on a black person by a white person does bring to mind all the footage of George Floyd mm. and Mart Arbery, Arbery and, and so many others who, uh, black bodies who have been killed. And, um, and, and we have the horrific footage of, and it's, it's a real confrontation. It's a mm -hmm. real confrontation of our senses, our psyche, our sense of safety, our sense of justice, and just our sense of how the world works oh, yeah. and for whom. And, and for whom? And, you know, if you fast forward a little bit, um, when you, so, so he gets taken, the, the car drives off that, that, that shot stays on screen for another couple of seconds before it cuts to a car, uh, before it cuts to a camera looking at trees, right. Seemingly going into the city because the, the, the shots after that are into Chris's apartment where, it's showing his apartment and showing um, pictures of black and brown bodies that he's taken before it reveals him. Yeah, because he is a photographer. Yeah, and, he's and a in photographer. Brooklyn, I believe it's in he's and, in the city. Yeah, he's he's in the city, and you know he captures, and that's going to come up later too. Um, and you know that the camera's like slowly moving, you know, into his apartment to kind of introduce you to him as it reveals him in the in the bathroom. So. There's a lot of intimate intimate camera work there, but whenever we get introduced to the parents for the first time, look at the distance between the camera and the car and the people. Like it takes a good two or three camera cuts before we ever get close into the space of the parents. And I I, I can't I can't think that that's not on purpose. You know, it, they're showing. You're showing distance, and I was listening to a listening to a interview with Jordan Peele talk about the protagonist in the story and trying to show the audience his point of view and his his the way he sees things through the story, mm. and that struck me because you know it, it really is very standoffish. <laughs> you know, with the camera work at, in that introduction. And it's a very tentative, you know, you don't get a lot of close-ups, like extreme close-ups, like we're looking at right here. You know, the at best, you know, whenever they're sitting down that first that first time meeting in the parlor, you know, it's mid-shots. You know, you're, you're not in the parent's space. Um, and so it's, I don't know, it's, I really enjoyed that introduction and it really stuck out to me from the cinematography point of view perspective. Yeah. yeah well and, and how that told the story well narratively speaking from from where we're at it, it continues to devolve and <laughs> yeah. it just is gets worse and worse uh, uh chris is pleading with his girlfriend rose that something weird's going on he needs to get out of there she feigns or she acts and appears offended and like everything is normal the brother shows up and the brother is the least <laughs> normal seeming of the family on yeah. the surface. On the surface. This Something is, seems a little off. Yeah. This is Caleb Landry Jones. That's the actor. He played in the last exorcism. 
uh, a very creepy part. And he is, uh, in my mind, got a very, again, a very creepy affect to him as an actor. And as he delivers lines, as he, as he looks at, at you, he's almost kind of got a lazy, uh, sinister vibe, but it's, but it's not an actively sinister. It's kind of like, something laying below uh the surface as it were mm-hmm. and then it pops up to get you and his and, and his name's jeremy armitage so he's a brother as he's there now and they're having dinner and all these kinds of all these kinds of like you know meeting the family stuff is going on awkward conversations begin to emerge like uh, about about the some of the stereotypes of black bodies and <laughs> athletic physiques mm. and watch your sport <laughs> yes and he talks about mixed martial arts and wants to show his prowess and i think he's got some pride about him his own self right um uh, they they it's awkward it's cringeworthy it's all it's all done intentionally and beautifully mm-hmm. and it's a it's 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 achieved well yeah. uh they stay the night and and daniel Kaluuya's character, Chris, starts seeing weird things happen, like his cell phone gets uncharged, it gets unplugged, uh, things are misplaced. He can't just get out of the house. He can't get out, right? Right. right. Um, and um, and and then there's this event where all these people show up, as you referenced earlier in the overview. And one of my favorite act- character actors is is in this event is Stephen Root. He mm-hmm. plays um, uh, a character who's gone uh, blind, and uh, it, this seems like some sort of family gathering, some sort or some sort of social uh, or, or kind of a uh, a regular social event with the same kinds of people. Yeah, and. Uh, Let's cut to the chase a bit. As we continue progressing, what you you discover the most sinister thing is that these are wealthy white people who are auctioning off <laughs> black bodies. Yeah, yeah. And Chris's Chris's uh, his comment to the the lady that seems to be the maid. Um, and I, Georgie, Georgina played by Betty mm-hmm. Gabriel, Georgina. Yeah. His comment to her was, you know, he said, you know, I get nervous around a lot of white people <laughs> and for good reason, <laughs> you know, historically for good reason. Um, and little does he know that Georgina is not a black person. A white, Yeah. Yeah. And that, and you know, you hate to say, it, it sounds a little off to say that all the black people that he encounters while at the Armitage's house don't act black, (laughs) right? They don't, you know, he's like, especially you can see in every interaction that he has with them, that this is not his typical experience of blackness, you know, culturally, you know, where he, especially with Georgina's, the conversation, he's like, I didn't mean to snitch on you. She's like, snitch? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'm not going to enter into any of the language that you just used because I don't know. I feel very uh, uh, nervous about using any of it because uh, yeah. it seems well, like stereotype is, stereotype is rife. And I don't mean to say that's what you're intending. I just don't yeah, know. Yeah, no. But, but, but with what you're saying, Andre Logan King played like Lakeith Stanfield. He is a mm-hmm. character there as well. He's the guy who was abducted at the beginning of the film. And yeah. there's enough of his own identity, of Andre's identity left in his body that is now being inhabited somehow by a white identity. Yeah, and they'll talk about that that procedure later. Well, let's just get onto it after this. But he looks at Chris and says, "Get out, get out," and that's where the the film's uh, title comes from. And it turns out that what the Armitages are is uh, uh, the dad, Dean Armitage, is a doctor. His father, who. it was a pioneered in the medical arts, this practice of being able to, um, to take an, a white consciousness, a white body mm-hmm. and implant it into a black body or another or a white body as well. It's just that 
So to me, that's terrifying anyway. I mean, that's yeah. the post-human yeah. philosophy that we see um, that have been uh, discussed for the last couple of decades. It's the it's AI. Can, can we upload human consciousness into a machine? That, so well, human it's, consciousness it's actually something. Can live it's actually something far worse than just artificial intelligence. Well, I know, but I'm just starting there. Yeah, sorry. But you go Gary, ahead, my friend. No, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> um. Well, he. he it's taken certain parts of one brain, mm-hmm. uh, the critical thinking part, and leaving intact in the black body uh, all the parts of the brain that are still connected to those wonderful little nerves, uh, <laughs> end quote. Um, and so that essentially the the person in the you know the black person would be stuck in the sunken place as mm-hmm. a passenger, as a passenger, being able to see everything that is going on in their body. Um, but the, the white brain inside the black body would be in charge of all the motor functions and essentially become them. Right. So, so again, this post-humanist AI reflection has been happening for the past several decades is, is being applied to the concept of, um, consciousness being, um, reinserted in other human bodies Mm-hmm. It just so happens that they're using black bodies for white mm-hmm. consciousness because uh, it continues on with the notion that black bodies exist for the sake of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Uh, much has been written about this by uh, Willie Jennings or Jay, uh, Cameron Carter mm-hmm. um, and James Cone. These are all uh, thinkers who are uh, black theologians, um, who have worked in black studies departments at major universities and talk, they talk very, very specifically about everything from the slave trade that happened in the 16th century onward all the way up till, uh, you know, e- even, even out the way we think about blackness, mm-hmm. the way we think about the body is different. And, and oftentimes thought more of as a, um, as a tool Oh, and and less tied to um, geography and place, and more tied to color. Which I'll I'll say more mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. A, in a, in a minute. But 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 yeah, it, it's um this is a terrifying thought nonetheless. But it's only got to be more terrifying for people who are from black and brown backgrounds who have felt um, and experienced this notion that that their added benefit to society yeah, is basically only through their, their uh, physical agency, their physical yeah. body. Uh, there's all kinds of reflection you can make about uh, athletics and a lot of other, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I would say, um, uh, stereotypes here as well. Well, it's, it's funny. Jordan Peele, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. Jordan Peele's voice is heard twice in this, in this film. Go on. Uh, and the second, the, I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the first one. I think it's uh, maybe in the uh, in one of the announcements at the airport. But the second one that clearly sticks out in my mind is whenever Rod is at home watching TV. There's a <laughs> there's a uh, uh, like a PSA advertisement on the the television for I want to say a, a historical black university talking about a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Um, and you know, it's, it, it stands in direct contrast to the things that you're talking about, Mm. right? That, that, um, you know, black and brown people have just, their quality is for their physical prowess and not for their total being. That the world, the, from the point of view of culture. Yeah. From the point of view. Yeah. From the point of view of culture. Um, yeah. And, and, and in this, and in this kind of, let's, let's kind of, I think we should conclude the overview and kind of move on to some of these yeah, greater themes. But, but what we have is, is, is Rose Armitage is, is basically the hook and the worm to go out <laughs> in the world and catch That's um, quite the worm. Yeah, no, she's the worm. And then, uh, her brother's the hook. See, her brother is the one yeah. who is listening to run rabbit run yeah, in the yeah. white car who actually does the abducting. And he's supposed to be the quote unquote family muscle. And they, they lure in these black bodies. And Chris finds this out looking through a shoebox of photographs. Oh, yeah. Almost laid out for him to figure out that Rose has had a lot of different black boyfriends. She's yeah, brought she a lot of men She lied home. about that. <laughs> yeah, she brought a lot of men home. And yeah. those men have been 
uh, worked on. They have been they have been experimented on, and they have been so used and sold. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have this language of, of, of get out, free yourself, free your mind. The first like theme that comes to mind is just actually the slavery theme in in biblical Hebrew languages. I often think about how the concept of the word Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, which means narrow space, right? And very, very simplistically, if you were to look at a map of the River Nile and the Delta, uh, the Nile Delta, it's narrow in the desert. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also for the Hebrew mindset, the, the, the Hebrew slave, a constricted place. And they wish to be freed by God into the Holy Land or the land flowing of milk and honey to the, mm-hmm. to the wide open space. You know, get out of that bondage state of being and free your mind, right? And there's mm-hmm. all kinds of, uh, of, of, of cultural um, overtones about freeing yourself or being freed. And, and um, in this case, Chris has to try to free himself. His buddy Rod shows up in humorous fashion at the end. I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, earlier when we were talking, you and yeah. I, a little bit about, uh, I, I said, I, I think, this film makes me think a lot about uh, uh, nature, culture, or body, spirit, dualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, you know, fancy philosophical terms. Why don't you set us up with the clip, and I'll talk a little bit more about that that sense of duality. Ah, uh, you want me to play the clip? Well, or, or just, just, or just describe it. it. Whatever works yeah. for you. Yeah. So, so towards the end of the film, cat's out of the bag. He's been he's been hypnotized, been uh, trapped. Everything's been laid out for him. He knows what's going to happen to him, and yet he discovers he he escapes by putting cotton in his ears, so he can't be hypnotized. And so, as he's has oh, fought, he's, and you know, cotton. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be to be saved by the cotton in the chair. That symbolism shouldn't be lost on anyone. Um, but he takes it out of his ears. He, you know, stabs the stabs the dad with his own deer. Um, good call back to the deer they hit in the very beginning of the film. Um, and he's, he's fought his way through, uh, and he's getting ready to walk out that. No, wait, I'm so sorry. I'm way ahead where I should be. We're going to have to cut that out. Um, so this scene, he's finally told Rose, Hey, we got to go. I need to find the key. Just, just do a, we're kind of there. Do a summary. Yeah. So, so they, they're, they're coming down the stairs. The brother's standing by the door. He's like, where are you going? The party's just started. And he's like, no, I got him putting the stuff in the car. We got to go. And the mom's slowly walking in and he's like, Rose, please find the keys. And she's digging through, you know, digging through her purse. At this point, he knows that she's like, not who she says she is, but he's still, you know, he hasn't called her out yet. Uh, And he's like, please find the keys. And then the dad steps up. And again, the distance thing with the camera, he steps up. And from Chris's perspective, it's a long ways away. The camera doesn't go to him until after he says, Chris, what is your purpose in life? <laughs> right? Like, you're going to tell me what my purpose is. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a choice in that. Right. And then he, he talks about the fire and how the fire is like our, a representation of our mortality. Right. We, we're born, we breathe, we die. And then he, he goes on to say uh, this about essentially human beings, though I would argue that he's not saying this about Chris. He's saying this about the people in charge, you know, that we are divine. We are the gods trapped in cocoons. And you, you can talk about the history behind this thought that the body is prison for the soul. And I think... All right, you're, you're, yeah. you're you know, I... That's the end of that scene. Yeah, not not to be critical here, but you're doing a lot of he said and he said and he said. So you're saying, because I'm on track with you here. Yeah. You're saying that Dean Armitage, the father, the guy who's the doctor who does all this uh, Neuro, conscious re yeah, yeah reimplant neuros- neurosurgeon. Yeah, the re- the re- the replanting, and the mom helps with the programming. Right, right. right. She's, the She's one, a yeah. psychotherapist. So in the in the climactic reveal, when we're about to have the final big face off, 
between Chris and the family Armitage. And we're waiting on Rod to come save the day with his funny TSA (laughs) lines. Um, Oh, yeah. The TSA finally (laughs) saved somebody's life. Uh, Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of how they play it up. It's kind of funny. Dean, yeah, Dean, Dean, you know, puts his arm on the mantle of the fireplace. He's staring down into the fire, and Dean says, you know, that whole spiel about the fire and our mortality and how we are trapped in our body, that we are divine. Humanity is divine, although I think he would narrow that down. Um, not for sure he would say that the black person in the room is divine. Um, well, that's because that's probably, I, I think your assumption is right. Uh, but we're trapped in cocoons is what Dean said. Well, yeah, I bet I, I I'm gathering he would consider the black body as lesser than the white body. Mm. And here, what we have is several things going on. Um, the first thing to talk about is, is called Cartesian dualism, right? Uh, Cartesian, that's kind of an adjective form for anything having to do with Descartes and Descartes famously had this notion of the person or the self as a an interior self and the extended self. So a mind or spirit or consciousness mm-hmm. and then a physicality or a body and that these two things are separate. And that emerges later on in forms of thought like where people consider us to have ghosts in our machines, like a, <laughs> right. a soul uh, in a body. This is really antithetical to the ancient um, there, there may be some resonance with, with Plato, although he's writing metaphorically, um, about, about these kinds of things, but this is really antithetical to the, certainly for ancient Christianity and medieval Christianity. Mm. And here we have, um, uh, kind of an early modern, um, Christian slash philosophical worldview that says that we are these, these two things, we're mind and body and on the side of mind or soul or spirit is the side of this is the side of law and custom. This is the side of culture. This is the the higher things of life. Um, this is where law and art is, and this is also where the world of of maleness is, right? Because mm. men are properly in the, of the period, <laughs> properly the social actors in the world who make the world go. And then on the side of the body is the side of the physicality. It's the corruptible side. It's the side of nature. It's the side of animals and plant life. It's also the side of the feminine. Think of mother nature. Mm -hmm. And that is always denigrated a step or two below the side of of culture before the, 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 the mind side. Now, it's interesting is that this dual vision of the world has really large resonances that play out in various areas like environmental thought and and even in in racial studies mm-hmm. um Willie Jennings from Yale says that at one point in time um each person or each group of people was claimed by a land we we belong to a geography Mm-hmm. Uh, but not so when it came to the black body of the African slave trade, where they no longer belonged to a land. Um, they were belonged by a broader, another culture. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, in, in racial uh, studies, you find that all the ancient races that were described in, in kind of the modern, the early modern period, had to do with with uh, with with regions, right? Um, Mongoloids were people who came from uh, certain parts of Asia. Australioids came from Australia and Southeast Asia. These are having to do with lands and regions. Uh, Caucasians, you know, this thing about the Caucasus Mountains. But uh, but the the Negroid, right? This uh, the people who come uh, with darker brown skin aren't associated with a place they're associated. They're the one, only ones associated with their color mm. and indigenous people adding to this indigenous people of all types, almost always found their home on the side of nature. 
at least from the dominant cultural point of view. So the, the point of view of the of the colonizers and the explorers and the cultured Europeans would <laughs> see native peoples mm-hmm. and think of them as secondary, as on the side of animals and plants and on the side of bodies, on the side of resource over mm-hmm. value. Mm-hmm. And right there, even though that's maybe not all that Bradley Whitford's character is saying, he is playing into that notion that, that I would consider it a very false notion that, that, that we are trapped in cocoons. We need to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot to say, and I could kind of, I could probably preach sermons on this right we, now. We could go, do a whole episode yeah. on this, on this one point. I mean, even, even right now in transgender studies and transgenderism, it's one of the rare places where, again, we're seeing the language of, I have an identity and it's different from my body. Hmm. Uh, hmm. How do we parse that out? That's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, I think for a lot of uh, really fantastic thinkers, whether it's Aristotle or Aquinas, or you're, you're talking about the, the the hordes of of medieval and and uh, classical Christian voices, uh, from Augustine to Maximus the Confessor, uh, you have the idea that not the idea that that you um, have a body, but that you are a body, and simultaneously you wouldn't say we have I have a soul. It's it's that I am a soul. Soul mm-hmm. is the form of the body. Soul is uh, enlivens the body. They're so intertwined. Soul and body interior exterior you cannot have one without the other right and so there's a unity of self and uh it to to be to be the self is um i think a very freeing thing by the way to to be your body is a freeing thing yeah but here in this case what what just to kind of land my my plane that I'm, I'm so sorry if this was too boring for anybody is this the idea. <laughs> no, well, and that, that, yeah, the, so ideas it, matter. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the idea that we're, we have a deeper self that can last in um, a, a, a part of human life that is less, uh, less meaningful. And the blackness, the black body in this movie, it reflects a lot, <laughs> a lot of the way black people have been thought about since the uh, transatlantic slave trade, uh, they are lesser than the cultural yeah. world, and they are a resource um, to be exploited and used for the whims of culture or the whims of whiteness. Yeah. And and here in that narrative, by the way, Willie Jennings would remind us that even whiteness is a myth, and we can talk oh, about I love, that. I love what he says about whiteness as a created category. You, absolutely. You have anything you want to say about it now, or do you? Well, just that, just that, what, just that, whiteness isn't a racial designation. You know, you are not. You are not in the the purest sense white. That's a created category, right? You are, like you said, from a place. So, so this idea, you know, this idea that. It's, well, it, yeah, where we were once, uh, just even a short time ago. Yeah. Uh, I'm Irish. You're Scottish. They're, they're Lithuanian. They're Jewish. They're Italian. Um, right. Somehow, a lot of these groups socially get clumped together into something called whiteness, which and means it, something more like upwardly mobile and normal. It means normalized. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it completely erases the 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 memory of of place, and so then you can and you can then prioritize anything that you want, mm-hmm. and and you know he talks about whiteness over blackness and that I, I just that that strikes me as as profound because he he wrote a small article about that and Willie I'm Jennings gonna, is he yeah Willie Jennings and I'm going to butcher it but essentially he, it was where he talked about that category of whiteness and he he traces that back you know historically uh and he connects it back to you know what you're talking about about the you know the Christian view of of personhood, and how that one seemingly you know that that dualism right that 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 is the thing that infects the thought that um, you know that there are more than one race right that that if that <laughs> that uh, you know. The differences between me and and, and another another person that is black 
that we're a different race, that we're not just human and we're talking about different cultures. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's something that, that has stuck with me that you can see just the language that we use kind of upholds the systemic racism. Well, I hear you struggling with it. And and that's the thing about it is that, um, to, to even get an introduction, like we've been get, been blessed to be given by, um, by people who have thought through these things as well as lived through a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they've taught us to, uh, to, I guess, to go back and look at our, how we're situated in this narrative. Hey, by the way, that's what religion means, right? To bind back or to to write again. We're going back to look at and say, oh, well, how, well, how do we come to this notion of ourselves and others? Yeah. And, and is that just? Hey, can I uh, let me lighten a little? Can I say something kind of <laughs> kind of that I just delight in a little bit before we move on? Um, Bradley Whitford, you meant I mentioned him earlier. Love his stuff. I hate seeing him be the bad guy, although I delight in it at the very same time. He was also in (laughs) in Cabin in the Woods, which is another great horror film that I love, which we'll look at in the future. Uh, Um, He had some great lines. He was on an episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz that, uh, uh, yes, uh, my wife and I listen to, we love, and we've been to live tapings. And nice. he does this, uh, he did the segment, they, they bring in notable people and, and the segment's called not my job. And they talk about <laughs> some of their recent, uh, reasons for notoriety and work. And, and so he was in two movies this year, the, the year of get out, I believe it was another, this and another one. And, and they asked him the story, uh, if he had any great stories about just playing this role and <laughs> maybe how, it affected the way that maybe a wider black audience saw him. And he goes, I do have this one story. He said, you know, I was, he said, I was walking down the street and uh, I, I popped into the shop and I needed, and I wanted to buy something, but they didn't take card. I needed cash. So they told me to go into the ATM across the street at the barber shop. And he's like, and I went across the street to this barber shop. And it's just like, you know, kind of the, the classic African-American barber shop. And, and and get out was really big at the time, and and he and he walked in, and and some guys sitting there sit, uh, seat saw him, and they they paused and they go, oh shit, which <laughs> 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 I which I thought was a, a really funny reality, and I uh, can only imagine because he is uh, he is terrifying, <laughs> terrifying in that he's disarming, and yeah, terrifying because of I mean this is. Yes, this is horror making social commentary. Yeah, but it it is uh, it has not been far off for people to right. imagine a world like this, which is terrifying. Well, and yeah, to to it's not far off for people to imagine that there are cult like groups that view people this way. Yeah, that that view people that are not them as pawns to in you know to increase their their quality of life um whether it's whether it's a socioeconomic thing you know whether the ultra rich do that um or if it's you know the 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 the, uh, aryan descendants you know from the the neo-nazis that still believe you know well my they're the best my takeaway from it ryan is um you know it sounds simple but i i I think it's real it's it's hardly done. And that is, we need to listen to other people. We need to hear other stories and let's quit pretending like we have, uh, ownership, uh, objective ownership of the truth. Let's allow, um, let's allow other arguments to truly like do something to our own. If they do, if they're, if we're honest about it and they're really effective and we either need to change our argument and go back to the drawing board or uh or figure out where we went wrong let's let's authentically engage ideas and let's listen because it certainly doesn't mean uh the same thing or hasn't meant the same thing to be white and black in our world um whatever those words now mean and so listening um very important and always um uh, with humility uh yeah encounter the stories of other people if we can do nothing else than that which it's very it's much too little 
Yeah. Uh, but that would that would be a better start than what I'm seeing now, which is a double down effort in tribalism. And yeah. uh, and th- these are my toys. And this is my land, and this is mine. And <laughs> these it's are your my man. toys. And I'll, yeah, I'll take my toys home. Yeah. Now, well, we we just, we just need to spend more time together. You know, we live such segregated lives. Um, you know that part of listening means that you have to be in close contact. With that's each other. that's true. But there is, and th- this we can talk about another time. There is an entire yeah. criticism of that narrative that comes across in Driving Miss Daisy and the Green Book about how the answer to race relations is just to to make friends. Um, and and that there are systemic issues that need to be addressed and, you know, Spike Lee and others. Well, the, the, the system keeps us apart. Okay. So I think, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I just think that, uh, uh, maybe I'm hearing myself and I'm hearing you go, I'm like, Oh, are we talking about get out anymore? So, uh, (laughs) let's, let's go ahead and, uh, for the sake of our listeners, but they probably already tuned us out. They probably thought these uh, the, the, these uh, privileged white people act like they know what they're talking about. Bottom line <laughs> is, it's terrifying, and it is terrifying. we find ourselves in many sunken places. And universally speaking, you don't have to be black to be scared of this film. Um, you can no. you can be anybody who feels stuck. Uh, you can be afraid of the way we think of other people, other bodies, other social classes, the way mm-hmm. we otherize people. It's a lot going on here. We're going to move to our segment called Hannibal's Bites. Hello. Is this Clarice? Uh, Hello, Clarice. This is where we uh, bring our criticisms, what we basically don't like about the film or where did it fail. Um, I don't know that this one has anything, really. (laughs) This one's pretty darn, pretty near perfect. Yeah, I I, I guess I had hoped that... That um, oh the Jim the art dealer, Jim Hudson, you know Stephen Root's character. I had hoped, you know, there was that one small conversation, you know, where it's just him and Chris, and you know they basically talk about how um, you see Jim kind of connect with Chris because he knows his work, right? So just for a sliver of a moment, you see Chris kind of get humanized in a way that he hadn't that entire, you know, that entire weekend. And, you know, Jim kind of (laughs) tells him that he has the eye and goes into the backstory that he never had it. Right. And so you're like, Oh, look, somebody that's human. (laughs) And then not so much. Um, you know, it it was a, it was a, a, a moment where they connected, you know, where Chris said, you know, that what, what, what's the word, what did he say? He's like, that's really, you know, that's shit. You know, that sucks that that happened to you. And he's like, you know, Jim's, you know, he affirms that he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, Jim is the one that's going to buy him for his eyes. Uh, you know, so it's for me, Hannibal's bites really it's, it's nitpicking. I think this film is almost perfect. Um, I can't think of anything that I would go, Oh yeah, that was terrible. I can only say that, Ooh, I really wanted him to have that, legitimate connection you know that somebody that was on his side that looked like me (laughs) right (laughs) i'll have to say that uh the film's so good that it was really hard to do two follow-ups one being us and the other one being nope by jordan peele nope i think is better we'll talk about these in the future yeah but right now we ask like we do on buffy where do we go from here And in the future, where we're going next, I believe, is we're going to look at a movie that neither one of us have yet watched, 2022's Barbarian, recommended to us by uh, many different friends. We're going to watch it, and we're going to uh, try to read it through the lens of thought, of culture, of Religion, like we do as best we can with everything, try to take a little bit more of a um, uh, a deeper read into what we're watching, so we can learn what these pieces of art can say to us about um, about deeper issues in life. Yeah, I look forward to to watching to watching this film, and I look forward to really watching you know uh, and talking about 
Jordan Peele's other films. You know, I, I love horror. We both love horror, and I think for that very reason, it shows us. You know, they show us our social our social fears. You know, the things that that our society is is uh, kind of scared of and fearful of in a way that is a reflection back to us. And so this this film I know nothing about, Barbarian. Um, so I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into something new. Well said. And uh, because I'm a dad and I like dad jokes now, I'm going to end with a dad joke I learned from a horror television show called The Last of Us. Are you ready for this, Ryan? Let's hear it. Did you know that diarrhea was genetic? No. Yes, it runs in your genes. (laughs) Oh, and with that, my friends, we are out. (laughs) 